morning, everyone. My name is Susan, and welcome to the Center for Positive Living. We'll start today with the daily word, which is grace. I trust grace is my constant blessing. As an expression of God, I need not ever worry about earning God's approval or favor. Grace is my assurance that I am one with God and heir to all God is. I know oneness during times of deep spiritual communion, understanding I am fully human and fully divine. Through this awareness, my experience of grace deepens. I understand grace as more than a gift from God and begin to see it as an aspect of my divine inheritance. Grace is not a blessing I need hope for. It is the blessing I can count upon. It is trusting I will have what I need when I need it, that my support will come to me even from the most unlikely channels. Grace is knowing that God is with me and within me throughout my life. And from Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And we will sing Surely the Presence together. We sing this two times. Thank you. 
make an apex. Worked a whole month with no day off till yesterday, so I'm staying home. Yeah, we were gonna try to make it. Nice experience. Did you kill by? Say that again. Did Sandy get COVID too? Uh, yeah, we, we both got COVID. Uh, Sandy and I we were on our trip and we got over it. We're immune now. Good, good, good. Is, is the church on? Is the church address Pearl Street, 800 South Pearl? Yes. How does one get immune? I've this like five times. <laughs> oh, um, and they're just five different times? variations, like I'm five. guessing. Different variants. They told me to get vaccinated in a couple months after mine. I don't know if that might make a difference. So it's time for announcements. We have a few. Yep. We need two readers and one for December, one for the third, one for the seventeenth. Third is next week, so if you're thinking about that, next Sunday is the first week of Advent, so we'll begin lighting our Advent wreath. Also, we're going to decorate the church next week, so please come and be helpful. We will be put up uh, on the 10th. The second week is the drumming and singing at Bear uh, Raven in Lindlon. So at 2 o'clock, you can come and join Grandfather Roy Wilson. Those are really quite fun. Sitting around your grandfather drums, and if you have your own individual drum, bring that as well. Uh, I remind you that on the outside door there is a sign up sheet for candle lighting service on the 24th. So, what is your favorite power? And you can sign up for a short reading about that and the lighting candles. And uh, last but certainly not least, a reminder about a Sunday night meditation from 7 to 7.10, wherever you are. Uh, our intent is to bring light and peace, and uh, it seems that maybe it might um, be happening. Dallas and Linda just sang, um, see the world as one. So we're going to just keep um, our intention there. Are there any other announcements?
Hello. Can you hear me okay? Can everyone hear me? <laughs> I can, but I'm not sure they can in the, in the church. Right, I can't hear anybody there. No, I don't either. You won't hear them. They'll hear okay. they hear you. Okay. So this is a gift of time by Susan Florence. 
and it's a, a little poetry book my mother gave me for my 26th birthday. Um, and I thought it was really appropriate for right now. A gift of time. Now is the time to stop and watch the sun's rays as they sparkle through the windows of our lives. Now is the time to listen to each other. I love you, Katie. Let me go sit down. Now is the time to talk about our deepest desires, to hold hands with each other's dreams, to share the joy and sadness held within our lives. Now is the time to put aside the chatter of small things and to know that time is all we have. Now is the time to celebrate the small joys of this day, to notice the light and the shadows. It may be time to dance. It may be time to grieve. It may be time to remember. It may be time to regret. It may be time to forgive. It may be time to forget. Yesterday is always with us, yet yesterday is always gone. Tomorrow rides on the horizon like a bird on the wing. Tomorrow is a flower opening, a butterfly emerging from its cocoon. Today is fullness like a fruit when it is ripe, like a benevolent rose, fully open to the sun, to the rain, giving of itself entirely. Today can nourish us and inspire us like no other time. Treasure the moments of the new dawn, of the dew on the lawn, of the sun's journey through the sky. And after the crimson light has fallen, when only the lavender hue of first night remains, as the stars begin their ritual twinkle, let our hearts touch and be full of thanks. This gift of time is all we have. Thank you. Our meditation song is The Goodness of God.
I am in the cold of the outside. I am assuming you can hear me. <clears throat> so in case you're not aware, um, COVID hit my house recently. Everybody in my house has been sick in one way or another for about four weeks now. Um, so I am no longer COVID positive, but the rest of my household is. So I am here at home instead of in the sanctuary and I am outside rather than inside with the child and the dogs and all of the noise and stuff in there. And it's cold. It is cold, people. It is cold outside. Um, all of that is completely beside the fact and has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. So um, my brain for quite some time has been percolating on Christmas and um, what Christmas means. And for me, my first thought, of course, is always Christmas as a child. And um, we're familiar, most of us, with the Christmas story, with the birth of Jesus. And um, when I was a little kid, you know, of course, the presents are involved. But what I remember most is actually the Christmas mass. So when I was a little kid and we went to uh, the Catholic church, um, we would go to the Christmas Eve mass and the children would get to dress up and present the gifts and play parts and have a role. And it was wonderful and magical. And um, of course there was music. And my favorite part is always the music of anything. So um, there's the traditional Christmas story. And several years ago, after I had um, discovered Unity and um, was kind of learning a little bit about it, it was expressed that, of course, as with all things in unity, um, the Christmas story is very metaphysical. There are many symbols and and meanings to Christmas and all of the pieces of it. And that's always kind of been in the back of my brain. So like I said, this whole Christmas idea has been percolating. And if I'm honest, it's been percolating for years. And so I thought I'd dig a little bit deeper into it. And I'm going to tell you right now, we are going to barely scratch the surface of what all of the um, symbolism and the meanings behind everything having to do with the Christmas story in unity. But I wanted to share with you, um, my guiding piece is this book here. I'm not sure if you can read it. Um, but this is The Trip to Bethlehem, The Traditional Christmas Story as a Guide to Spiritual Transformation. And this is written by Hypatia Hasbrock. Um, I have a copyright date here of 1995 uh, was when it originally came out. I'll be honest, I don't know if I picked this up in my original days at Unity of Olympia in the early 2000s or if I picked it up later when my brain was percolating on this idea again. Um, but I didn't do much more than look through the first few pages until recently. And <clears throat> it ends up there's a lot more in here than I can get to in a single um, talk with you today. There are some other things that also kind of percolate in my brain when I think about Christmas. And so some of those thoughts come from this fascinating book here, um, the Dark Side of Christian History. And uh, this was where I got a more in-depth understanding of all of the things that Christianity has done um, in the name of Christ, which we all know is a fallacy um, throughout history. And one of the big things um, in my mind has been the hijacking of 
ancient uh, earth-based holidays. And Christmas is of course, one of those. And um, one of the things that Hasbrock talks about in her book is how there is no definitive date associated with the birth of Christ. There is no time that's indicated in either of the stories of the birth of Christ that indicate what time of the year it happened in. Um, the only thing is that the fact that the shepherds were uh, guarding the flocks by night would indicate that it was any time of the year except for winter. Um, that it was not likely that they would have been out in the cold in winter. Um, so that leaves us wondering, well, then why? Why would we choose winter, um, you know, the very depths of winter in order to celebrate the birth of Christ? And the reality is, is that the reason why um, it was chosen by the church people, the all-knowing, um, is that it coincided really easily with some pagan holidays. Um and all of those holidays share very similar stories to the birth of Christ. They all have to do with the birth of the sun. And it's the sun, as in the actual physical sun that we have, um, that our lovely planet goes around, or the birth of various sons of gods and goddesses and so forth. So it kind of parallels the Jesus story parallels with these ancient pagan stories and it made it a very easy thing to convert people to christianity to coincide festivals and celebrations with things that already existed um and so that's also in turn where a lot of our traditions come from um with the way that we decorate our home and the time that we celebrate and um, all of those things so brief history smack you with a little bit of where the Christmas holiday comes from um, and the time of year. So let's dig a little bit more into this trip to Bethlehem. So the idea is that the whole story of the birth of Christ and the Christmas story is, um, is an allegory. And we, we believe that with unity, that it is a story that um, helps to illuminate our own soul and our own spirit. And it's our own journey. So when we take a look through um, all of the pieces, the symbolism is amazing. Now, I, I knew, I've known for a long time that symbolism, um, metaphysics, this idea that, that things symbolize other things and they draw meaning and they, they create meaning for our own lives. I know that. I understand that. Um, and it was amazing to me to really look at and read and learn just how deep that symbolism goes. Um, so when you take a look through this little book, and when I say little book, it's 160-ish pages. So it's not that long. It's 158 pages, and then you hit the glossary, all right? Um, and there's this whole section um where it talks about the symbolism and it is crazy. The metaphysical meanings of things. They talk about the medical physical meanings of the theme, the setting. They talk about the different groups, the, um, the time period in which it happened has specific meaning. 
the different places, all of the cities, all of the things that are mentioned. The world census even has its own meaning. Um, all of the cities that are mentioned, the countries that are mentioned, they all have a specific meaning. Then it was craziness. We got into the elements. So the elements, oh my gosh, we have feminine attributes. We have masculine attributes. We talk about the different 12 powers, the different animals. The different animals mean different things. It's craziness in a fabulous way. So as we go through, all of these things have meaning. Numbers have meaning. Swaddling clothes has meaning. Who'd have thunk it? It's amazing. Um, so I went through and I'll be honest, I can't tell you all of the different things. So we are going to settle on the meanings of the stages of the trip. And so what Hasbrock has done is broken the Christmas story into 12 stages. And those 12 stages um, also correlate with or embody the 12 powers in unity. And so it's kind of cool to go through it all. Um, and so we're going to talk just briefly about Herod specifically, um, because Herod is kind of a key component in this whole Christmas story, because King Herod, he had a long reign, and he symbolizes a firmly established ego. And the important piece with this whole journey is that first you have to deal with the ego. Um, and so the Christmas story unfolds within us as we have a well-established sense of identity of ourselves as individuals. So once we kind of know who we are as people, we can deal with going on this spiritual journey. And this spiritual journey is all about um, allowing the Christ to dwell within us and live our lives with, you know, within our Christ light. And so if we start with <clears throat> the very beginning, we have Paul said the mystery hidden for ages and generations is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, and so Hypatia goes on to say the realization of that hope begins when we accept the invitation to take the mystical trip within our consciousness to the stable cave of Bethlehem. And the mystical journey itself features 12 stages. During each stage, the power of God enhances one of the 12 divine or spiritual attributes, which constitute the image of God in us. So we start with stage one. And as we go through these stages, um, it actually tells a portion of the story. So I'm going to go ahead and share with you how um, Hasbrock writes the story um, and give a little bit of insight into what she has to say about it. So stage one is um, falls in line with renunciation, the power of renunciation or elimination. And this is the weakening of the egocentric. So this is where we have Herod the Great. And the story is set during the closing years of the reign of Herod the Great. And as I mentioned, he represents the egocentric ego. And he's not an admirable character. He's not somebody that we're meant to like. But that indicates this transition um, as a process that is open to everyone, that anybody and everybody can go on this journey in order to um, seek and birth the Christ within themselves. So we have to accept the invitation um, in order to engage on this journey. And we do that 
through renunciation. And this renunciation, it gives us the ability to change the way we think by giving up the inappropriate habitual beliefs and attitudes that are our egocentric ego. So it helps us to cleanse our consciousness of erroneous beliefs about ourselves so that we can replace them with the truth of who we are. So we need to know ourselves as individuals before we can move on and recognize who we are and resist the temptation to relapse into the egocentric. So we have stage one, we face our egocentric ego and we move past it. Um, in the latter portion of the book, Hasbrock talks about the ways that we do that with affirmations and denials um, by understanding the egocentric ego. Um, and she has you know, a great breakdown of the different pieces of that. Um, but it's just, we go into this whole bit about dealing with this egocentric self before we move into stage two. Stage two to me is awesome. So this is where we experience wisdom. Um, it's symbolized by the East and the star and the wise men. So this stage takes place before the narrative begins. There are pieces to this story that I didn't, I wasn't aware of the chronology of the Christmas story. So this stage takes place before the narrative begins. We know that because when the Magi fails to report back to Herod, he orders the massacre of male infants, two years old or younger. That indicates that the three wise men first see the star in the east um, a little before the time when Gabriel appears to Zechariah. In other words, it happens before the first episode. So the wise men go to Herod to begin with before any of the other pieces of this story unfold. So this is the truth that we are created to express this image of God, um, is the creative principle to Christ. Only through the mental faculty of wisdom, symbolized by the three wise men, can we grasp the significance of the spiritual nature. So until we are convinced that we are the direct offspring of God, we are not likely to participate in the process which moves us beyond conventional traditional religious forms um, to a conscious acceptance of the spiritual nature as the creature of the psyche. So it's this whole really interesting piece where we have to fully understand that we are born to this, that this is, this is truly who we are supposed to be, that we can start moving in that direction. And that brings us to stage three, and this is understanding, symbolized by Gabriel, Zachariah, John, and Elizabeth. The angel Gabriel appears at the right side of the altar at the temple in Jerusalem, where Zechariah, the priest, is burning incense. Gabriel announces that Elizabeth will conceive and bear a son to be named John. John will prepare the way for the Christ. Because Zechariah doubts the incredible news, he loses the power of speech. And so this is, you know, this beginning to understand when we are starting to open ourselves up, the faculty of understanding enables us to recognize and apply the principles that underlie the truth that we have grasped through wisdom. So we've got the wisdom on board. Now we have understanding coming along. So then the next piece of the story is that the formerly barren Elizabeth conceives and with a grateful heart goes into seclusion for five months. This is where some of the symbolism like numbers and things come in, which was amazing to me. 
quite fascinating. So since love is the principle of oneness and harmony, Elizabeth represents the feeling of spiritual oneness um, with other persons, which produces a moral nature based on grace, love, and mercy. Five, this was interesting, is the numerical symbol for the live human being. And this is because around month five is when we start to really feel life within the womb. So five months in seclusion suggests the need to meditate upon oneness with other persons until love and mercy become viable ideas in human consciousness. <clears throat> Leading us to stage four, and this is imagination. This is symbolized with Nazareth of Galilee, Mary and Gabriel. So when Elizabeth is six months pregnant, Gabriel appears to her kinswoman, Mary, a virgin who lives in Nazareth in Galilee and is betrothed to Joseph, a descendant of David. Gabriel tells Mary that she will conceive a son to be named Jesus, who will be given the throne of David and rule over the house of Jacob forever. Mary protests that she is not married. Gabriel explains that the Holy Spirit will cause the miracle. Then he tells her about Elizabeth, adding, with God, nothing will be impossible. Mary accepts her tasks and Gabriel disappears. So this stage of the trip, it requires that the mental fac faculty of imagination become involved. So that power of imagination. And this gives us the ability to mentally see or visualize what exists only in potential. So what has not yet been expressed, the mind must be able to conceive the idea of the Christ before it can become viable within us. Mary's acceptance of her task symbolizes the soul's willingness to fulfill its destiny, to allow the process to occur. So when we're in this space of imagination, we are finally accepting and allowing things to kind of start to unfold. Stage five, we have faith. So this is Mary, Elizabeth, and the birth of John. Mary travels to Zechariah's house in the hill town of Judah to visit Elizabeth. When the women meet, Elizabeth's unborn child stirs and Elizabeth realizes that Mary is to bear the holy child. Both women express praise and thanksgiving. So the soul doesn't abandon the outer form of religion, which was this interesting piece where um, Hasbrock talks about a kind of traditional religion versus spirituality. And we in unity know that there is a distinct difference between the religious and the spiritual and sort of the, the dogma and the, the rituals that go with religion versus the acceptance and the being and the, the life and love that goes with spirituality. As the story goes on with, after three months, Mary returns to Nazareth. Soon Elizabeth's baby is born. Eight days later, he is circumcised. When Zechariah writes on the tablet that his child, that the child is to be named John, Zechariah regains his power of speech and uses it first to praise God. So remember when at first he said this, you know, he's thinking this can't happen. You know, we're old. We can't conceive a child. He lost his ability to speak. When he accepted what was, and he named the child as he had been, you know, instructed to, um, he regains his power of speech. And so we have some more numerical references here. Um, so three is the numerical symbol for synthesis. we got a train. In case you can't hear it, there's a train um, for synthesis. So the soul continues to praise God and fulfill conventional religious forms while synthesis occurs. 
John is the moral nature and illumined intellect and John is born. So we have moral nature and intellect that is being born, this illumined intellect. Um, and this signifies that what John represents must appear in ordinary human life. Um, so this is not a, a grand being. This is not uh, a demigod or a god in any way. This is a normal human um, who is beginning to be illumined. So when Zechariah obeys God, names the child John, he regains the power of speech and immediately praises God. And this indicates that the new understanding that is enhanced by faith has imbued religious thoughts with a spiritual dimension. So moving beyond the religious and into the spiritual. And the idea of grace has been accepted in consciousness and the thinking nature is ready to hear the next angelic message. Lots of angelic messages throughout the story of the birth of Jesus. Stage six speaks to will symbolized by Joseph and Gabriel. In Nazareth, Joseph realizes that Mary is pregnant. His first impulse is to divorce her, but Gabriel appears in a dream and tells him that Mary is carrying the destined savior. So Joseph marries her, but does not consummate the marriage. I had never really con you know, contemplated Joseph refusing the idea of being with Mary. Um, however, Hasbach, you know, of course, expresses that um, this reaction of Joseph, this is a very conventional, this is a very normal, this is a very natural reaction. Um, I have not fathered this child, so I'm going to get rid of this one because she is clearly not virtuous. Um, however... This represents how most of us first react to the idea that we are designed to express the image of God, that it is our purpose to express the image of God. And we have a hard time with that because it disturbs us because to accept the, this fact upon the idea calls for a complete revision of consciousness, a complete altering of how it is that we feel about things and how we think about things. And so that's what uh, what Joseph is embodying in this part of this story is where we are like, no, we're not part of God. We don't belong to God. Um, God is not part of us. And coming to that point where we can we can work with this. And so once we have made the choice, we make a conscious choice. Um, then will marshals all in and will becomes the power that we work with god's will is absolutely free and god doesn't compel us to feel or think any way but our own will then allows us to accept that we are you know destined and designed to be a part of god and we can move forward with our own journey stage seven of this journey is strength and this is symbolized with the census, Bethlehem, the inn, the cave, the ass or the donkey, the ox, the swaddling clothes, the manger, all of these things are all part of strength. And so um, the world and says a world census is being made, which requires people to be counted in their tribal, um, in their tribal cities. Uh, being close to term, Mary rides an ass to make the trip with Joseph to Bethlehem, the city of David. 
The inn is filled, so the innkeeper has them and the ass stay in the stable cave where he keeps his ox. They are barely settled when Jesus is born. Mary wraps him in swaddling clothes and lays him in the manger. This, for me, was my favorite part of the Christmas story as a child. And it always in my head, um, we had these fabulous books. Um, they were Bible stories. It's wonderful books uh, when I was a kid. And we had the audio cassette tape that went with them. And it had Uncle Dan and Aunt Sue reading these Bible stories for us. And my favorite was the story of Jesus. And it started with clip clop clip-clop went small donkey's hooves as he slowly climbed the last hill. And that has just always stuck with me. And so reading that there is this deeper meaning to it that can mean something to me is so wonderful. So we have here that Mary and Joseph have traveled to Bethlehem because they must fulfill a worldly duty. And the child is born in Bethlehem. This indicates that the transformation process continues even while we are doing whatever life requires of us. So our own spiritual work happens within our daily lives and in spite of all of the other um, responsibilities that we have. And the mental faculty of strength is active here in order to enable us to persist in our spiritual purpose despite all of our worldly inconveniences. So it holds us firmly on course so that we may achieve our goal. Stage eight is love, symbolized by the night, light, the shepherds, flock, and the lamb. The night in the midst of a great light, Gabriel appears to shepherds watching their flock in a nearby field. Gabriel calms their fear by announcing the birth of the Christ, a gift from God to them and all people. He tells them where to find the child, and a heavenly choir joins him. The shepherds hurry to Bethlehem and enter the cave. After telling Mary and Joseph what the angel said and giving their gift of a lamb, they return to the field rejoicing, and Mary is very quiet. I had never thought about sheep so deeply in my whole life as I did going through this section. So the shepherds they're common people. And so this just symbolizes that something, that this is something present for everyone. And they specifically represent the forces which guard the seven human virtues. So the seven human virtues are attributes that are symbolized by a flock of sheep. I'm sorry. Usually when we talk about being pe people being sheep, I don't generally associate that with being a good thing. However, when we look at it this way, it's a beautiful thing. So the flock of sheep, they represent honesty, prudence, temperance, courage, justice, charity, and compassion, the virtues of man. And so those virtues and the guardians are all expressions of love as the principle of oneness, which produces harmony within us and in our relationships. And so the gift of Christ is for the shepherds and everyone else so that the gift is evidence of divine love. So this is the power of love being embodied here in stage eight. Stage nine is order. So we have the naming, we have the house, Jerusalem, temple, Simeon, and Anna. These are all the symbols here under stage nine with order. And this portion of the story reads that on the eighth day, the day of circumcision, 
Joseph names the child Jesus. He moves the family to a house in Bethlehem. After waiting the required two months, they go to the temple in Jerusalem to perform the required purification rites. The sacrifice to sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons and to dedicate Jesus. Simeon, an old man, follows them from the temple door and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he takes the child in his arms and blesses him. Anna, the 84-year-old prophetess, who was always in the temple, joins Mary, Joseph, and Simeon, and she thanks God for the child. And they're talking about how um, Hasbach talks about this whole stage just being about order, about how we have all of these things that need to be done. These are the things that are done because that's the way things are done, and they are done in this specific order. And so they're just saying at this stage of the game, we are using order to guide us through the proper sequence of events. And these are inner events. So to guide us through the proper sequence of our own unfoldment and enlightenment. Stage 10 um, is power, the power of power symbolized by the wise men from the East, Jerusalem, Herod, and the gifts. The family returns to the house in Bethlehem. Soon three magi from the East ride camels into Jerusalem, believing the star is leading them to the newborn king of the Jews, they go to the seat of government to ask where he is. Herod feels threatened when he hears about the wise men's quest. He asks the priests and scribes where the expected king was to be born, and they say in Bethlehem. Herod summons the wise men, finds out when they first saw the star, and sends them to Bethlehem telling them to return to him, to tell him where to find the child so that he may pay his respects. The star leads the Magi to the house of Joseph. They enter, bow to worship the child, and give their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That night, they are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They go home by another route. So here we have power, and it enhances all of the other faculties um, with an infusion of spiritual energy that protects us from error. So we've hit the point now where everything is moving in a proper order and we have power that is enhanced by all of the other powers that we've already kind of embodied and worked through along this journey. Stage 11 is zeal. The flight of Egypt. So this is symbolized with the flight to Egypt and the massacre of the innocents. So the same night that the wise men receive their warning, Gabriel appears to Joseph in a dream to tell him to take the mother and child to Egypt because Herod plans to kill the child. Immediately, Joseph arises, puts Mary and Jesus on the ass, and the family starts for Egypt. The enraged Herod not knowing exactly where to find the child, orders the massacre of all male children two years old and younger in and around Bethlehem. So this is zeal. This is inspired in us with devotion to the higher self. And um, that is what's symbolized in this stage of the trip. Joseph is determined that he is going to protect that child just as at this stage in our journey we are going to protect our newly born christ light as it grows 
intuitively the intellect um, realizes that the Christ must be protected from the destructive activity of the egocentric ego. So it's still talking about how Herod, that egocentric ego within us is still a threat to our newly birthed and developing Christ life. And then we have stage 12. This is the final stage. Um, this is life. And it is symbolized by the death of Herod and the return to Nazareth. So a year or so after the massacre, Herod dies. In Egypt, Gabriel appears again to Joseph to tell him that it is safe for the family to return to Israel. However, when Joseph realizes that Herod's son now rules in Jerusalem, he does not go back to Bethlehem. He takes them to Nazareth. And so this is um, the higher self surviving. And that is evidence of the activity of the mental faculty of life or the power of life. Now, um, Hasbach talks about the importance in um, the symbolism of these different places and why it is that Nazareth was the best place for Jesus to grow. Um, and that being um, having to do with the symbolism of Nazareth. Um, and let me see back here in my notes. Where did I? Okay. I don't have Nazareth specifically. I have Galilee. Nazareth's location in Galilee suggests that as the Nazareth, Nazareth consciousness is nurtured, it grows and gains in momentum of its own. Um, but I recall that Nazareth just had to do with being a nurturing place. So someplace nurturing for that Christ light to grow um, within ourselves. To me, this it's a fascinating um, read. It speaks in the whole next section um, with wonderful insights of affirmations and um, denials and meditations and things to kind of help you along and propel you through your own journey um, to Bethlehem in order to birth your Christ light, um, which to me was the one thing in unity that stuck with me early on about the Christmas season um, was that it was that time to really celebrate and rejoice um, a birth of the Christ in me every year to remind me of that journey. Um, one of the things that really stuck was that um, Hasbach mentions that this is a journey that we continue our whole lives. We kind of bounce around through all of these different stages and find ourselves uh, battling with that ego and finding our wisdom and and just kind of moving through this journey um, over and over throughout our lives, which to me is another beautiful um, thing that is symbolized in our earth and in the seasons and all of the things around us um, as we we grow and change. And so with that, when I was going through, there was one uh, particular meditation that was early on enough in the uh the journey that I thought we could share it today. Um, so as you begin on this journey, it kind of talks about how you, you can start this journey at almost any level, kind of depending on where it is that you are um, in your own spiritual journey. But when you do come to realize that this is a very specific journey, um, you've usually already kind of worked through some work with the egocentric ego. You've already had some experience with the wisdom of the Magi. And so then that brings us to stage three. Um, 
And so stage three, when we are experiencing grace and finding understanding is there's a meditation here in the book that I'd like for us to um, experience today. So if you'll take a moment, take a deep breath, maybe let the train stop blowing its horn. Um, so join me as we um, take a little walk into grace and understanding. I want you to envision yourself in a sanctuary. So in the sanctuary, in your in your own inner sanctuary, your own inner priest burns incense at an altar. Fragrant smoke rises like a prayer for illumination. Because you, I, we would know the truth. We wait in silence for a time. And then a voice, a voice speaks in this sanctuary of our inner self. And it astounds our inner priest. And the voice says it is never too late to let thought and feeling combine to bring forth a new moral nature. You can express divine grace. Let knowledge of the law be illuminated by the light of God's love. Deal mercifully with yourself and with all persons, even as God deals mercifully with you. As I nurture the grace of God within me, I move toward Bethlehem. the Spirit of God illuminates my understanding. I judge and treat all aspects of my being with love and mercy. I judge and treat others with love and mercy. And as I radiate love and mercy, love and mercy return to bless me. Take a moment in the silence to reflect on God's gifts of grace and understanding. And when you're ready, come back to us here in this moment and in this time, ready to continue your journey to Bethlehem. Thank you so much. This is a special time when you really enriched our understanding of my mind. Thank you. <coughs> okay.
it's time now for children. And we would like to thank everyone who has sent any uh, checks or donations to the church, either by mail or um, on the website. And um, let's say our offering prayer together. Divine love through me blesses and multiplies all that I have, all that I give, all that I receive, and all that I am. And together we can say our blessing of thanks. We bless these gifts and send them forth to heal, bless, and prosper. They are evidence of our faith and belief. They do good work in the world and return to us multiplied abundantly. And so it is. And it's time for our healing prayer. If you would like to focus our collective group healing energy for someone, you can speak their name or hold them quietly in your hearts. For all of the people and situations you have mentioned, for all of the people and animals who have been displaced by war and natural disasters, and to the people in our community who struggle to meet the basic human needs, all of these people and situations. And we say, Mother, Mother, Father God, we ask for the highest and greatest good for all, and endeavor to see them through your eyes, your knowledge and divine wonder. And together, we can say The light of God surrounds us, the love of God enfolds us, the power of God protects us, Presence of God watches over us wherever we are, God is, and always will. And we will conclude today with the peace song. And while you are 
sizzling up. I want to thank Eileen um, for her talk today, for Mary for her reading, Johnny for the slides that brought us the great music from Dallas Menda, and Tom for doing all the technical stuff. Next week, we will uh, welcome Dr. Mario Kuchet to be our speaker on the first week of Thank you.